Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tasting Anarchy. I am your host, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by... Mason Joseph. I should just can that intro because I think I say it almost the exact same can, like, what is it, cadence? Is cadence the word? Uh... I think cadence is the word you're looking for, uh-huh. um, but you don't always say it that way because, like, sometimes you'll say a thrilling episode because that's oh, what yeah. I was hearing in my head. Because <laughs> <laughs> you were like, oh, no, welcome to another thrilling episode of Chasing Anarchy, which is like I was thinking about jumping in and like introducing the show that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I I feel like we actually are pretty well prepared for this episode, but I didn't start preparing for it until about an hour ago. Yeah, well, I, I drank a bunch and smoked a bunch of meat, uh, so I didn't really prepare for anything. Right. Well, I, I just, I I got up pretty early this morning at like, I think it was around 6.50, and, uh, you know, Foxy has like, her wake wake up, it's time to go outside is like down to a science. It's, mm-hmm. I can't believe how accurate she is, which is, I guess the good thing is that I'll never miss work, uh, mm-hmm. never never like oversleep, but like. 6.50 today, 6.50 yesterday, 6.50 the day before, and my alarm, my my first alarm is set to like 6.25 or something like that, and then I usually give myself another 20 minutes, which, although I've read that like the snoozing is actually not really helpful to being like less tired or whatever, but I, I've, I have heard it's very bad. Yeah. Um, but you sleep differently than I do. I, I, I like the well and actually the reason i do that long that long snooze is because i can usually get a pretty pretty good dream recall out of that amount of time yeah so. that's the like the only thing i get out of falling back asleep unless it's like i wake up at three in the morning yeah yeah so so anyway so she woke me up i went out and then i was like i was gonna go back to bed i went back to bed on on uh saturday i felt like i i was like i i just didn't get enough sleep and so i went back to bed for mm-hmm. like three hours Oh man! Yeah. So, uh, but I was also up real late working, and because uh, I have like a, like work, working work, on no like no your job job. Yeah, yeah, my job job, my real job, or like my mm-hmm. job that pays me. So mm-hmm. yeah, so I was up to like one o'clock in the morning on Friday working on work work, and uh, but then today I was like I kind of wanted to do it again because it felt nice, but I was like I don't think it'll feel nice now because I'm not like absolutely exhausted like I was on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I was like I'm gonna go ahead and get a start. A start on the day so you know i i shaved and like did all of the th- i don't i don't shave every day so usually i shave like on the weekends and i shave once a week <laughs> you and, I, yeah you and i both <laughs> yeah yeah I, I don't really need don't to shave. yeah exactly like i don't need to like my goatee is my goatee and then like the sides don't really grow in that much so it's not that big of a deal since i've lost weight mm-hmm. mine grows in significantly more but not anything like so i'm thinking about not shaving through year end oh that'd be fun just just to see what a beard looks like yeah yeah that'd be kind of cool seeing seeing if my boss says anything because like usually when he says like you need to shave to me at least it's not that he's looking out he's looking out for me on my personal level he's like you just don't look good yeah yeah you know he's not being critical like hey you you make the workplace look bad he's like you just don't look good right yeah (laughs) like his brother, um, like his brother, can grow a really nice looking like beard, even though he's bald. Right. Like, well, both his it brothers. Drives, it drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, both his brothers do. 
So the, the brother that, that doesn't work there anymore, he's got like a real big full beard now. Yeah. Um, and all three of them are bald, so. Yeah. Uh, I lost my train of thought. On, oh, on, anyways, today, like I got up, I went to the gym, I went to the grocery store, I got one of the wines I'm going to review at the grocery store, and then I was... Pulling I, a me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, p- pulling a you. I, I was just feeling like I really just need to get my bike working. And so I went mm-hmm. out and worked on my bike, and I finally got it running. I was so happy. Now, I will tell people, because you just said running, we're not talking about your recumbent bike, which yeah, you yeah. need a little tuning. It's actually your motorcycle. Right, my motorcycle that I think I mentioned it on the show a couple months ago, and I've only, I think I've gotten like one full day's worth of riding on it. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, it's just been nothing but like this broke, this broke, this broke, this broke. And finally, it's it's running again. It's been like a month since it was running. And uh, I rode it. I didn't ride it out on the street or anything. I just kind of rode it up and down the garage, mm-hmm. uh, just because I wanted to. I wanted to keep it running for a while, just to make sure yeah. that it was, you know, everything was okay. And just it, make sure it's not an aberration. Yeah, yeah. And and I got it to idle, which it never idled. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, so so far it's 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 working pretty well. I'm hoping to be able to start riding it a little bit and getting some practice in, so then I can start riding it to work and uh, just you know. I don't know. I'm I'm very pleased with myself because <laughs> I'm not. That's not like my area of expertise, and it took a lot of work to to get it going. Yeah, and and this is the kind of the interesting thing about the two of us. Like, you get a motorcycle working. Working. I got the smoker home from my parents' house mm-hmm. after a year of it being in their garage. Essentially, mm-hmm. actually, I think it's probably been a year because they probably bought it before. Like, I knew about it. Because they got it for me for Christmas last year. And I smoked two chickens today. And I had a small piece outside of my eating window of the uh, first one that came off. You know, I got it to the temperature that this uh, guy suggested. And it was really good. And like, but you know how, you know how like when I grill stuff, it's usually kind of like, I always give you that disclaimer. Like, if you die, it's not my fault. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) so classic me, I, I watch a video on YouTube and I, I tried to find many videos and I, I really couldn't find many mm-hmm. because I was trying to find them specific to the smoker I have like brand and model just to make sure. Mm-hmm. And um, like, I forgot this guy talked about brining them for like, you know, 18 hours or something like that, you know, a good amount of time. Yeah. And so I just went to Lidl and bought two chickens and then came home, patted them dry. One was still frozen. Oh, okay. Partially. <laughs> okay. Spray, sprayed it down with Pam and then used the grilling saw, a grilling uh, rub that I used, which really tastes good. It's just like a Weber basic dry rub. Yeah. Um, I'm sure like you and I could concoct something better, but like, yeah, it's easy. What it was really good. Yeah. Um, flavor wise, I forgot to Pam the other side before putting the, <laughs> the rub on. So, and then, you know, just started, uh, smoking them and ran out of water twice, like to the point, like I had a grease fire, like, I was like, one of the things you don't really think about when you're smoking meat yeah, is you don't have to have like wood chips the entire time. Cause you don't have to have smoke on it constantly. Right. Like you get some smoke flavor and then heat. And so it wasn't until like a quarter of the way through that I figured this out because I was just burning wood chips left and right and suddenly going from like 300, which is where I was trying to be, to like 190 <laughs> like temperature-wise just mm-hmm. all over the place and like just having a heck of a time. But, you know, 
just this classic you and I thing where it's like, here's this thing that we're going to do and we're just going to see what it is. You, you, it's like the motorcycle is just enough electronics yeah. that it makes sense to me. And for me, like the smoker, like to me makes sense because it's like, oh, here's a grill and no one's watching it. So Mason's suddenly in charge of the grill. Yeah. That's just how things go. Yeah. The smoker, a more advanced grill. Here we go. Right. (laughs) Like brought a poke, you know, like, because I use charcoal for my grill because like I got it from my parents for free. So then I got the smoker from my parents, but it was a gift, but it was like a propane and charcoal grill or smoker. So it's dual, dual heat source. Oh, cool. So. I've been. I bought a propane tank for the first time, and I had to figure out how to do that. Which you know, it's not complicated, but like, got a propane tank, and then like, just the classic adventure of like, how does this work? All right, well, I'm just gonna figure it out as I go. <laughs> so, all of that being said, I believe you are drinking something that should be familiar for the ultra fans. Yeah, I, I am, but I'm getting a little bit of like movement from your side. My microphone stand okay. came loose. Oh, okay. So I was tightening it. So we should be stable now. Cool. Okay. Just one. Okay. Just one. But, <laughs> but no. But I'm I'm making sure we are. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Picking it up still. Okay. No. No. Sounds good now. Okay. okay. I thought I thought maybe like you had the window open. And there was like a breeze coming through. <laughs> oh, it's like fifty. It, so funny enough, it's actually going to get warmer overnight tonight. Oh, okay. It's going to rain. So oh, yeah. It's going from fifty to like fifty-five. But no, I don't. I don't have the window. Open. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. So, like, like you mentioned, this is one that we it, for ultra fans. My dog is outside barking, so I'm going to tap on the window. But uh, for ultra fans, back in episode where did I put the note on episode 19? 19. Yeah, episode 19. You reviewed this wine, and what's funny about it to me is, is you and I have talked about this before. It's like I've got a weird memory for things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I was looking, like I went to Kroger to get supplies to make what I made for dinner tonight, and uh, which was pulled pork, and mm. uh, I was going through this discount basket they had there, and it was all like candy corn beer and like weird, weird like holiday Halloween holiday themed stuff, and they had mm-hmm. they had this Etude Pinot Noir, and I went, I went, this sounds really familiar, and then I read down on the bottom where it said. Uh, I can't pronounce the middle word, but it's uh, like Grace Benoist Ranch. And I went, I recognize that name. Either Mason's had this or I've had this before. <laughs> and uh, so I went ahead and bought it. It, was, it. I actually scanned the label to make sure it was a good deal because they had it on their discount for twenty six twenty nine. dollars mm-hmm. uh, It's It is actually, according to the Vivino, the average price online is $54. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, not a bad deal at all. And I went back and listened to the review part of that episode because, uh, sure enough, you did review this. This was actually like either the second or third episode after I moved to Texas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you reviewed this particular wine. You got the 2014. The one I have is the 2016. And you got it also from Kroger's discount area for $28. And the 2014 retailed for $64. So... According to Kroger, I don't know. I don't know if that's legit or not. But you yeah. know, you know how well, they I they mean, kind of so yeah. Based on based on your pricing, yeah. Um, you know, probably sixty eight is probably high, but sixty, you know, yeah, fifty. It's prob- probably yeah, probably good. around that. Yeah, and so I, I think that that's probably pretty accurate. Um, I'll go ahead and give like the specs or whatever on mine. So it's uh, a Tude Pinot Noir Estate Grown Grace Benoist Ranch. 
mm-hmm. I don't know what this last word is is referencing or if it's part of the location, but it says uh, Car- Carneros, which I I don't know, and I should have looked this up before. I think that's part of Sonoma. I, I don't I don't know for sure. I'll look it up while you talk about it. Okay. So yeah, so vintage is 2016. It's 14.2% alcohol by volume. As I mentioned, I paid $26 at Kroger for this. It normally retails for $54. Um, it is from Sonoma, so that's why I, I think that uh, Carneros is part of Sonoma, but I, I don't know for sure. No, so Los Carneros AVA is the American Viticulture Area, which includes parts of Sonoma and Napa. Okay, interesting. All right. I, yeah. I do happen to know that this particular wine is a Sonoma wine. Uh, mm-hmm. based on what what I looked up on Vivino. Uh, hang on, my dog is it's being crazy. Hey! Hang on, let me go stop him. Sure, sure. Hey! Inside! No barking. No barking. Inside. Foxy, you can come in too. Inside. No barking. All right, sorry about that. Uh, hang on. You can cut this part out if you want. Okay. Pitch down when you're talking to Mulder. Oh, okay. Because Foxy's used to the high pitch. Mulder will respond better to the deeper voice. Okay. Because the, the high pitch, like... Actually, Victoria really... tells me that too because she says, it sounds like I'm praising them when I talk to them. Correct. <laughs> even, even though I'm like scolding them, I'll be like... You're a bad dog. You're a yeah, bad no, dog. Like, well, that's what I'm saying is like you, when you're when you're praising him, you can go high pitch, but like when you're giving him a command, yeah. short in like an half an octave lower than your normal speaking voice. Yeah. So like my normal speaking voice is a little deeper than yours. Yeah. Though your voice is has deeper tones to it. Mhm. So just pitch down like half an octave or more, and he should respond better. Okay. I'll work Um, on that. I put a map in the... So back to the show. Okay. One, two, three. I put a a map in the notes. Okay. That is very instructive where Los uh, Caneros is. Okay. But it also gave me a really good idea of where Napa is and Sonoma compared to Golden Gate. I actually didn't know that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it, it it's very like, or maybe I did, but it, it's really really instructive. And then you can kind of see like the tail, uh, like Stockton Lodi area. Yeah. So like, that was really useful. Okay. Well, so. maybe I'll put the map in the show notes so other people can see it. Because like I've actually been there since you and I have done the show. So I mm-hmm. I'm as far as like the cardinal directions and like physically being at a place, I I do kind of know where it is. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you look at it on a map, it's a completely different thing. Because uh, then you're like, oh, well, this is way further away than I thought. Because like, you fly into the Bay Area, and then you, even though it's a long drive to get to Napa or to Sonoma, like once you're there and you're seeing stuff, you just kind of forget that it's a long drive. No, I I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So, oh, right, anyways, but yeah, back to the wine. So, uh, in the episode that uh, episode 19, where you talked about about the wine, you said that uh, you described it as underwhelming, and uh, that. Uh, this actually, I don't, I don't know if you recall the story, but your mom came over, and you were giving her wine, and then like she accused you of like withholding the quote unquote good stuff. Yeah, I remember <laughs> the story now that you say it. Yeah, and and then you gave her some, and apparently your sister and her liked it a lot. Uh, but you, you were just like, there, there's stuff in there, but I just don't, 
it's just not I don't know I like I don't I don't really pick up on the wine so uh, you said you're, you're having a hard time placing any particular flavors but you described plum low tannins and some pleasant heat mm-hmm. uh, I'll go ahead and give my description because some of it does match that uh, it's a dark dark purple much darker than most Pinot Noirs I've had uh, especially like the one of one of my favorite Pinot Noirs that I drink quite a bit of is this Ludum uh, at, uh, from uh, I think it's Gap's Crown Vineyard. I like that one a lot. It is a very delicate Pinot Noir, but it is very light in color. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one though is very dark. Uh, sort of smells like a Cabernet Sauvignon. It it doesn't smell like a Pinot Noir. So it it's a dark red fruit, uh, but also a little bit metallic. And the metallic note to it is a little more reminiscent of Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir does tend to be more minerally. Than mm-hmm. than cab, uh, taste wise, it tastes it tastes like a cab sob. It it's it tastes like a delicate cab sob. So like one of maybe one of the more maybe a blended one with like merlot or something like that. But it, it does taste a lot like a cab sob. It's it's very fruity. Uh, lots mm. lots of ripe red berry flavor in it. Uh, there is this metallic flavor to it that I like a lot. Uh, it has a nice acidity, but not as acidic as a lot of Pinot Noirs, especially like from like up in Oregon or, or cooler climates. Uh, there, but there is some acidity to it. Uh, it is more tannic than most Pinot Noirs, which is why I think it reminds me a lot more of a cab. Heavier mouthfeel, again, heavier mouthfeel than most Pinot Noirs, but roughly around the same as a cab. It is a little bit more like viscous or like the, the silky slipperiness that, uh, is is associated with Pinot Noir that Cab doesn't typically have unless it's like older or a little bit higher price. Mm-hmm. So uh, kind of like the the Pinot where it's like yeah, there's like a, it's like a it's it's, it's it's not like freak show punchy, right? Exactly. Like it, and even then, like the punchiness when you're describing freak show explains like um, describes many different things of it, but the mouth feel of that is very punchy to me. Yeah, like, from in my memory. Yeah, this one is more like silky, so it's like it's like a smooth mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, mm-hmm. there is some nice heat, like like the one that you in the twenty fourteen that you were describing. It, it had this kind of delayed uh, heat. This ha- mm-hmm. this has that too. It, it does. It's got like it's a nice delayed heat. It's just it's it's pretty. I like it's it's a great it, for lack of a better way to describe. This, this is a good winter wine. Uh, it's seventy five degrees here in Dallas, or about seventy four degrees actually. Uh, I'm incredibly jealous. <laughs> yeah, so it's very warm, very nice day. We went out for a nice walk with the dogs and stuff, and I just wore a t-shirt, and it was it was very nice out. Lots of people out walking their dogs and stuff like that. Um, this I could I can imagine it being in the 40s or 50s. This would be a much nicer wine. It mm-hmm. it doesn't really pair with the atmosphere. I did have this with my pulled pork. I thought it went very well with that. Um, how much how much fat was in the pulled pork? Do you think it was it was pretty fatty? So it but okay. but a lot of that like a lot of that melted off, and I I didn't uh, the like the liquid part of it. I kind of I scooped the pulled pork out, and the liquid was left. So there's a lot of fat in the liquid. Okay, so you didn't make a finishing sauce necessarily. No, no, no. It was just the, okay. the pulled pork, and it was a sweet pulled pork with pineapple. This act, huh. uh, and it also had how much heat? Uh, not very spicy, but a, a lot of paprika. But paprika, I don't really find spicy. I find it I find it more flavorful. No, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like, um, what did you use for heat in it? Uh, chili pepper. Like, what type of chili pepper? Um, I don't actually know what the chili peppers were. It's just chili pepper powder. Oh, okay, okay. Like a red chili pepper? Yeah, yeah. So okay. it, it is a little bit spicy, but not super spicy. I, I, I toned down the spiciness. Like, normally I would put, like, 
two tablespoons of cayenne in or whatever because you know that's me and mm-hmm. uh and then i would like regret it the next day but <laughs> uh victoria i wanted to eat this as well so i made it kind of on the sweeter end and lower spiciness mm-hmm. and then i added a little bit of cayenne to it myself but i didn't add very much because it actually was very good without it okay it was just not a it wasn't a it wasn't like my my typical pulled pork the one that i gave you with the, with the vinegar base this is not vinegar, mm-hmm. this is not vinegar base it's a it's a sweet it's a sweet uh pulled pork okay gotcha and uh but very smoky it had a lot of liquid smoke in it and uh, so it had like a nice smoky, sweet porkiness to it. Uh, interesting that you're you're having a, a smoky thing when I was smoking stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I made it in the instant pot. It was actually really easy to do. Uh, yeah, the instant pot seems to be like a really interesting way to do stuff. Sometimes it's really great, and sometimes it's not. I I, I know exactly what you mean, even though I haven't ever used one. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of one of those weird things. <laughs> I, you know what, sort of a side tangent on this before I conclude my wine. You know what cooks really, really well in the Instant Pot? Pho? Uh, no. Hard-boiled eggs. It hmm. It is so, yeah, it's very weird, but like, I don't know if it's a, if it's a, I don't know if it's the Instant Pot that does this or the method that you use to, want with, with like doing the, preparing the eggs and then like the post-cooking portion of it, but like it's like five minutes in the Instant Pot and then mm-hmm. you take them out and then... When you peel it, you just crack it, and the the shell basically just falls off. Um, huh. But it's like you have to douse it in ice water, uh, and, oh. and I don't normally douse it in ice water, so it might be the ice water. You're supposed to, yeah. I, I've never done that, so I wonder if that's why it was never easy for me to peel them. I will. There's a Martha Stewart cooking stool uh, stool. <laughs> that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, cooking school video where she it's all about eggs. Okay. My dad has been, well, you may not know this, but, like, my dad is, like, super into hard-boiled eggs because he did, like, um, Atkins for a very long time. Yeah. Um, like, it is probably one of the best public television videos ever. Like, it's super awesome. And she goes into how to make, like, hard-boiled eggs perfectly. Mm-hmm. My dad's been doing hard-boiled eggs forever. And he's like, yeah, it was a game-changer. Yeah. And basically, it's, like, 11 minutes hard boil ice bath and then from there so i mean uh, this method works great so maybe it's the ice bath but it just works so well yeah exactly like my my wife has tried it she still can't pull it off but i think it's the temperature she's a little uncomfortable with the heat temperature Mm -hmm. um but yeah like i if when you get a chance watch the martha stewart if you think about it yeah i i think you'll get a lot out of it in it but it's also one of those like it's like, oh wait, Martha Stewart really does know what she's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's I mean, that's interesting because yeah. like we're not Martha Stewart people, but it, I do get stuff oh, no, from no. her once I, in a while. I, I watch a lot of like we used to watch a lot of. Um, well, I mean, because we we never like since my wife and I have lived together, we've not had cable television service. Yeah, I mean, same way. I don't think since you moved out, you have had cable television service. No. Um, but we brought we bought the broadcast antenna, so we used to watch a lot of um, public television, NPR or not NPR, but um, PBS stuff. And Martha Stewart's cooking stuff is really, really good. Okay, like, she really does know what she's talking about, and it, it's very clear. And then, like, I used to kind of crap on her because she got arrested and insider trading and all that stuff. And then, like, 
you know, becoming an anarchist. I'm like, Martha Stewart for the win. <laughs> <laughs> like she basically refused, you know, she, she went to, um, like general Flynn, you mm-hmm. know, like they basically, he didn't break the law. He just apparently didn't remember what he said to the, um, FBI. Yeah. It's the same thing that happened to Martha, Martha Stewart. Oh, really? Okay. Like she, she may or may not have done insider trading, which I don't think is a crime. I don't really care. Yeah. Um, but even if she, like, she just basically was like, I shouldn't have talked to you without multiple lawyers. And then basically still shouldn't have talked to you because you were going to put me in jail no matter what. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So That makes sense. You know. All right. Let me get the conclusion yeah. on this and then we'll get into yeah, yeah. what you're sipping on tonight. So I said, uh, this is actually difficult for me to conclude on because as far as a Pinot Noir, I think it's a terrible representation. As at least from the Pinot Noirs that I really like, which are more mm-hmm. along the lines of like delicate raspberry, mushroomy, um, earthy, minerally kind of Pinot Noirs, and and typically that's like Oregon or like cooler parts of California. Uh, but I, I do like this a lot. It's just super different. So it's so uh, it's, it's kind of like the Pinot of Pinot Noir, maybe not the quality, yeah, but the the uniqueness of it because like right I mean, still, well the the peanut like, the peanut i would if i i was to try a peanut like blind test it i probably would have been able to guess it was a cap no i i understand that yeah but like the fact that like i still haven't ever heard you describe blueberry mm-hmm. a, uh a cap yeah and actually and they, peanut this was yeah, truly blueberry. it was yeah it was definitely a blueberry flavor this one it is it's just i would if somebody blind tested me on this i would think it was a cap the color, mm-hmm. the color is too dark for a Pinot Noir. The flavor is too bold for a Pinot Noir. Uh, the mouthfeel is is just completely different. It's not as acidic as what I would describe as like a, a good Pinot Noir. But I do think it's a good wine. I think overall it's good. I would I would pair this with something completely different than what I would normally like pair with a Pinot Noir. Like this I is. Mean, I mean, you had pulled pork with it, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was after I poured a glass of it and tasted it that I went. This will go well with this pulled pork because. It's 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 not. I wouldn't say it's a fruit bomb exactly, but it's so fruity, and I think that'll get us into what we want to talk about later because we picked uh, our our grape of the week review or whatever to go with your smoked food, mm-hmm. uh, which happened to go with mine. This actually, this almost like it's almost like a Beaujolais, like a Beaujolais village. It it's it's fruity, but does have the mineraliness to it. it it's just very unusual it's it's a very unusual wine mm-hmm. uh i my conclusion on it is that i really like it like if if i can if kroger has more of these available i'll buy them because uh, mm-hmm. at 26 dollars, i think it's a good deal um, it sounds like it yeah yeah and, and I, it's very drinkable it's just that if you if the listeners are looking to get this particular pinot noir uh, think about think about maybe pairing this with something that you would maybe more pair with like a beaujolais nouveau or beaujolais village uh, or a Zinfandel, even like something fruitier. It's it's. When did you open it? Um, a couple hours ago. I had I had okay. like a small okay. glass of it, and then uh, I had like a sm- like a a taste because I was going to write my notes on it. So I had like a taste mm-hmm. a taste to write my notes, and I was like, holy cow, this is way way different. And then uh, then I had my pork, and and even and actually with the pork, it a lot more of that mineraliness came out. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought that was very good. I liked that a lot. Uh. I, I don't as a Pinot Noir I would say like it's not great but as a as just a wine it, it's a very good wine I think it's quite good 
especially for the price point. I think if I had paid fifty bucks, now one of the th- one of the things you said about this when um, you were reviewing it is you were like, "Well, this is supposed to be a sixty dollars wine. I don't really like it for sixty dollars." But and I would agree. I don't think I would want to pay fifty five for this, is which or fifty four, which I guess is what it goes for online normally. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I would think that was a great deal on it, but twenty six, good deal. I, I would I would I would say probably up to about thirty five dollars. This would be uh, I would feel that I got my money's worth on this. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Unless unless I was specifically looking for a Pinot Noir, then then I would be like, well, this is not what I wanted. Yeah, but like I think this is one of those times where like that's a good thing and, and not necessarily a bad thing, but like. It, because it's so different, it's like, oh yeah, like the expression of a wine and the terroir and, you know, everything that goes into a wine, what we talk about week in and week out, I, I'm, you're getting to experience those different things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would, I'd be interested to try to find somebody kind of like a Jackson Blood um, who would have experience with more wines that kind of fit that profile you know what i mean like because like it's clear that like this isn't just like a one-off like these guys didn't that that's not the only one that's like that you know what i mean yeah it seems yeah it seems like either this area produces this type of pinot noir or this producer is trying to produce this type of pinot noir yeah like this this was intentionally done this is not something where it's like oh no this just happened so like I'd really like to hear like I'd like to try more like that yeah and, and see like wait a minute is this like truly unique or is this like no 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 this is a legitimate style so kind of to expand what's possible with a Pinot Noir you know yeah. what I mean like because like there's the Oregon and then the the Santa Barbara expression of Pinot Noir yeah and and you know what but, this. I- this is actually a lot closer to Santa Barbara. I would say this is probably closer to that, and, and that's mm-hmm. like the um, the Ludum that I really like. Uh, mm-hmm. Gap's Crown, I think, is in Santa Barbara. I don't, I don't know, hundred percent. I think it is. Uh, I could look it up, but um, this I would say is a little bit more like that. It is a little bit more gre- aggressive than like most um, most of the Oregon ones. The Oregon ones mm-hmm. I, I are more European, although. Um, I don't know. Like it, it is interesting, but I see what you're saying is that it's like, you know, I don't actually, I don't actually drink that much Pinot Noir. I, I do have a couple that I like a lot, and so mm. it's sort of, I guess that's kind of the deal. It's like there's certain ones that I like. Oh, Gaps, Gaps Crown is in Sonoma. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that Ludum that I have is a Sonoma, is also Sonoma. Hmm, that's interesting. So I, I wonder how far away they are from each other. Yeah, that uh, that's a good a good question. I don't know. Maybe I'll do a little research on that well, later on. You, but why well, don't why don't you go? I was gonna say you yeah. can look that up while I talk about the one I've got. Oh sure, okay. Theoretically, I mean, you don't, obviously, don't have to. So I am drinking the other wine that I have significant issues with, like Pinot Noir. I have a huge issue with because I know that there's more there that I'm just not getting. The other one that I have a lot of that is is Merlot. Okay. I know that Merlot has a lot to it, but I don't get it. And and that's because I like more aggressive wine or I like wine that has like one specific characteristic that stands out. That's the best I can describe it. And that's not a very good description. And I know that like 
I really like um, Grigio because it's so acidic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I've got the Bluestone Vineyard 2012 Virginia Merlot. And this was a another one of those I found at Kroger on discount. Um, it's 13.2 ABV. This is a old bottle of wine for me. Like I don't often get wine that's outside of 2016 at this point because I, I don't I don't buy a lot of the stuff from um, Last Bottle Wine like you do. Yeah, mainly because the price point is still a little too much for me. Yeah, I can afford it and I have the space to store it. You know, I I can I can make that investment, but I'm just not there yet. Right, mentally. So. Um, I saw this was a Virginia. I like Merlot a lot. Like you like Pinot Noir. Sure. And yeah. It's not that I don't like Pinot Noir, but I think Merlot is a little more aggressive and it fits my, even though I know I'm missing a lot in it, it fits more what I'm looking for in that aggressiveness than Pinot Noir does for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really like things that are delicate because I don't have a good taste sense of taste. So I like a little more aggressive wine so this one's um being a virginia like i'm trying to like you showcased a lot of texas and then you got all your wine from um last bottle that you you know they've been saving over the summer for you because it's so hot in texas yeah um so i was like okay let me try to drink more virginia because i know there's a lot in virginia that i'm just not i'm not consuming and that's not fair to virginia Mm mm-hmm so I was like, okay, I saw this, and I will say I paid less than $15 for this. Mm-hmm. How much less? I'm not exactly sure. I may have paid as little as $4. I may have paid as much as $15. Um, my wife pulled the tag off of it, which was frustrating to me because I like to see the comparison on this. Yeah. This was in the clearance section, but it wasn't the traditional clearance listing for the Kroger wines, which the last couple that I've gotten have been labeled that way where it's a little off um so when i looked at their website they have the 2014 listed so i don't know if there wasn't a 2013 you know which can happen especially with like merlot where it's it's a longer age wine at least that's my perspective of it um (coughs) excuse me um so i don't know if i'm just way out but like they were you know it was under 30 bucks for the bottle for the 2014 yeah um so I know I paid way less than that, but 2012, I opened it and first sniff was just red wine, pure, you know, plain and simple red wine. Mm-hmm. Second sniff, leather. Oh, interesting. Like good leather, which I know you know what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. Like good leather smell. Um, second sniff, nothing. Hmm. So, or third sniff. Um, so it, it's one of those. I think as, and I, I can't speak to how old Bluestone is, but as they do more and more Merlots, I think they're going to be really good because this one was, it was like what I like in a Merlot where it's very red wine forward, kind of jammy, but not in, not a fruit bomb, not like a Zin. Right, like right. That, oh, I'm here to rumble, like up front. It was tannic, had good acidity, but like my wife was like getting uh, herbal notes out of it that I didn't necessarily get. Mm -hmm. But like I opened a glass and I opened it yesterday, had a full glass. 
and I was going to do my review on that glass. I was going to do one glass a day until the bottle was done. Mm-hmm. I've done way more than one glass today. <laughs> but <laughs> but yesterday, I had that one glass, and the second glass today wasn't that much different. So a lot of, to me, a lot of the, like, the not degradation, but the aging of the wine, and especially the, to me, like, when you open a bottle of wine, it enhances the aging process. That's how I mentalize it. Okay. So this didn't change that much, which to me is a very good thing. I can see how people would say like, well, it didn't change much that much. It must be cheap wine. You know, kind of like the, like a Franzia. Like you open a bottle of Franzia, you leave it open. It doesn't change. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like very, very dark, 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 red, deep purple. Like, I mean, almost black, Um, like really good and good in the glass. And it's one of those wines where like, I'd buy this again in a heartbeat, and I wouldn't mind paying twenty six bucks for it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't like it as much because I know I got it cheaper, and I was kind of disappointed I didn't buy two, which I had been doing with the discount wines. But I think this, and I think that's because this one was a little more expensive, like in the ten dollar range. Which talking about buying a twenty six dollar bottle of wine and saying I'm not going to buy a ten dollar bottle of wine. But yeah, like yeah. When you, when you buy discount wine, like and it's ten dollars, it's kind of like. Am I getting ripped off because this is normally ten bucks and they're just labeling it as ten and saying it's a discount from thirty to screw you? Yeah, well, that's actually it- one of the things that has made me more confident about buying stuff at Kroger that that is quote unquote discount is the Vivino app is because you can scan it, you can see what the average price online is, mm-hmm. and then you can go like, okay, is this a good is this a good buy? Because like, there's even stuff that I get on last bottle wines sometimes where I've scanned it later and it shows average price online, and it's like four dollars less than I paid on last bottle. Yeah, which and, you and know, then, that's not like that's not saying that when I bought it on last bottle it wasn't. It is. It's just saying that last bottle got it. I bought it at a price that at the time was a good discount, and then it took three months for it to ship because of the summer, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. and then. Everybody else puts it on sale. So Correct. Yeah. And and that's the thing is like, you know, I just finished the bottle. Like I had opened the I had like half a glass left, so I, I drank it. Um it dried out my mouth in like a just the right way. Um heavy red heavy red wine flavor and like to me, I know other people like more in their red wine, but sometimes I really do like just the red wine flavor right yeah like i really do like you know like if i could drink peanut every day i would like yeah to me that was just an exceptional bottle of wine and i'm sure i'd get tired of it Mm -hmm. i'm sure the listeners are tired of hearing about it but well you know that that that's actually how i feel about donati that the or the the is it donati Mm -hmm. the one that i that i sent you and that we did with bird is that like i had i had a bottle of that earlier this week and Mm -hmm. it's just a good wine it's a good yeah it's just good. It's not. There's nothing super exceptional about it, other than it's consistent. It's very well balanced. It just tastes good, and it goes with a lot of different things. So it. So even if I'm going to drink it by itself, or if I'm going to eat it with something, it's kind of. It just. It just goes well with lots of stuff. It's just a good wine. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, this is one of those ones where it's a Virginia wine. It's just. Um, so, like. Um, if you're looking at a map of Virginia, it's southwest of Harrisonburg, which is where James Madison University is. It's 
nearly almost exactly north of Lynchburg. It's like on a map. So like if you look at how far Charlottesville to Richmond is, yeah. It's like a third of the distance from Charlottesville to Richmond to the winery. Oh, okay. So steep in the Blue Ridge. Um like when I looked at their website, like they seem to so like let me go to their website again real quick. Um you know, they've got a they've got a couple, you know, like blended name style ones. Mm-hmm. Uh but they've got a Moscato, a Blue Ice, which I'm it's a white wine. Uh, they've got a Vignet, a Chardonnay, a Petite Mansang, a Cap okay. Franc, a Merlot, a Sauvignon. They've got a another estate grown red wine, a Petite Verdot, a Cadenza, hmm. a stainless steel Chardonnay. They've got something they're calling Houndstooth. You know, they've got a lot of uh, named wines, um, which usually means they're kind of a blend, which not it's not a bad thing. Um, but you know, for you and I, yeah, in the early stages, but you know, they've got like, and they've got a on the website, they've got a Petit Verdot 2013 for like 30 bucks, like 14.2. Like, I, I'd be really interested in trying that, yeah. Um, uh, Thermante, I'm not sure if this is a, a blend or not. Um, but you know, they, they've got a lot of different stuff, they've got a, a pretty nice label. I mean, they actually shipped to texas oh cool uh, yeah oh maybe, maybe yeah maybe we should maybe we should coordinate and see if we can if we can get one of those that we'll do together yeah so you know it's one of those uh interesting like it, it, it's it's not not to knock like texas wine mm-hmm. but like there's a lot of stuff going on in that blue ridge corridor that blue ridge ava which isn't necessarily an ava but like there's just a lot happening in that the Appalachians of Virginia. Oh yeah, um, and the AVA of Virginia, like that, are just really interesting. And there's a lot of vineyards that have been out there for a very long time doing stuff. Not that you know, again, not that there's a Texas hasn't, but like, like they do know what they're doing. It's just kind of like you gotta figure it out and try. <laughs> yeah, kinda... yeah, and I and you know when I went to that wine event in DC, uh, there was several. Virginia representatives there and there is a lot of really great stuff going on in Virginia and it's it's an interesting it's an interesting place there it's the climate is unique the terroir is unique um mm-hmm. well I guess climate is part of terroir but uh yeah I, I definitely recognize or like recommend to people check out Virginia wines as much as I recommend Texas wines like I I think that like I moved to Texas at just the right point in the show to be like really excited about Texas stuff Mm-hmm. And it's and I guess like it's almost you know you're you, like we you and I always talk about this is like I like liking things, mm-hmm. uh, and we always joke that like you're a little bit more hipster, but like I think kind of when it comes to Texas wine, like I feel like I'm a little bit more hipster. Uh, I, I I agree, it, and but you don't have the nose turn downness of it. You're willing to try all of it. That's true. Yeah, and and granted, like there has been a lot of Texas wine that. You and I have talked about off the air, and I, I think I've maybe reviewed one or two that I just I kind of was like, well, this is not the greatest thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, and I, I think that's the thing that the problem I have with a lot of Virginia wine is it's not nuanced enough. Yeah, or it is nuanced. It's either not nuanced enough, or it's so nuanced that I don't catch it. Yeah, and I'm not a good representation of a reviewer. 
Well, you know, and both both the wines that like I associate with Virginia are um, do tend to be, I would say, more nuanced, but maybe on the more delicate side. Uh, my my absolute favorite still to to this time is Cabernet Franc, uh, mm-hmm. my favorite varietal, uh, and I think Virginia does that incredibly well. And, and that's the thing is like to me like Cab Franc is just like an aggressive fighter wine. Interesting, because in, yeah, I, I totally don't associate it with aggression at all. Like I, to yeah. me, it's it's much more balanced and delicate, and, and and it could be also that like the price point that I buy Cab Franc at is high enough that I'm just not typically going to get a bad one. Yeah, and that's the thing is like I've never had a bad Cab Franc, so to me, like Cab Franc is kind of like like the thing with like you know like. T- and, and this is just kind of like how I think about it mentally, and I don't. I'm not saying this is correct. Okay, but like, if you have Cab Franc, why would you grow Cab Sop? Like, why would you have created that other varietal? And to me, it's because Cab Franc takes the aggressiveness, but it presents more of itself. Yeah, that, that, that like, could be. And and again, it's probably the price point that I drink Cab Franc at, where it's like Cab Franc is like. I'm just doing stuff, and I'm just being here. And Cap Bronx like, calm down, Dad. Hmm. You've had three drinks. <laughs> that goes it, yeah. You're drunk. Go home. But, like, <laughs> Cap Fron- so one, Cap one of the like, reasons that they— Screw you, I'm out of here. <laughs> one of the reasons that a lot of people don't do Cap Franc is because it's a more difficult grape than Cabernet Sauvignon. So, and, and that's and that's what I think is like— and, and I think that's kind of what I see in a lot of the Cap Francs that I drink. Yeah. Is there's less taming of it in the bottle. That could be. People uh, let it be more what it is because it was like, it, it's kind of like, well, mm-hmm. this son of a bitch was so hard to birth. Yeah. I'm just going to let it be. Whereas Cab Franc's kind of like, I'm going to fight you at different points. But yeah, you know, once you get me, once you get me to this point, I'll do what you want. I mean, that that's, I think that's, that's a, that's not a bad point, but let's go ahead and let's go ahead and put a pin in that or leave it there. And uh, let's talk about the super aggressive. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say is like, let's talk about something that, that can be incredibly aggressive and goes really well with both what you and I were, were eating tonight. So uh, you made two smoked chickens, mm-hmm. and I made uh, pulled pork that had liquid smoke in it. So not as smoky, but um, you know, definitely a smokiness to it. And no pecan and uh, mesquite, which is no, what I was yeah, doing. that's true. But but not like that sounds shittier than I meant it, and I knew you didn't <laughs> take it that way. No, no, I didn't. But, yeah, like. Liquid smoke is an amazing product. It, it really is. It's very interesting. I, I just have to say that because it's like I'm not crapping on it. It's really good. <laughs> well, it is. It's a super interesting product, and I I used to use it quite a bit when I lived by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know if it's because like I switched what I was making or it just never occurred to me to use it. But this this recipe that I made for the pulled pork just called for it, and. You, well, you and I, well, I texted you and was like, hey, what do you want to do about this? And actually, I think I texted you or I started to text you yesterday. And then like I had my like my mental capacity was so consumed by this client that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And like I was having such I actually I think I looked at my text message and I was like, I didn't text him at all yesterday. <laughs> and I and I did stuff yesterday, too. Like I went to TJ Maxx with Victoria and we went to Home Depot and did stuff. And like the entire time, like I would like went to TJ Maxx and like sat on the couch and like stared and like like I I was just like I was so mentally exhausted from this client that like but 
anyways, once I texted you and we started talking about it, I was like, oh, well, look, let's do Zinfandel. We did yeah. we did Gamay uh, last episode, and um, let's do Zinfandel this episode because I, I recommend mm-hmm. Gamay usually or, or actually in particularly Beaujolais Village uh, for smoked products. But Zinfandel also does really well with smoked products. It, I, it, especially the New World. Yeah, well, and it, yeah, very much especially the New World. I especially like uh, Sierra Nevada or the Sierra Foothills um, growers who are doing Zinfandel. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times people don't realize this, but a lot of like Amador County actually has some of the oldest vines when it comes to, to Zinfandel. And it does have a little bit more of the mineraliness and it's a it's slightly cooler than like out by, well, much like cooler. Lodi. Yeah, well, way, way cooler than Lodi, but even cooler than like Napa or. Sonoma or other places where they're growing it, so it it is cool uh, sometimes, or it has good diurnals and stuff like that. And it's also from where where I'm from, and so <laughs> that's another reason why I like it. Um, but let's go ahead, let's go ahead and get into this. I'll go ahead and, and do the summary of it. Uh, as everybody has already heard from our long winded introduction, we're talking about Zinfandel. Uh, Zinfandel is also known as, as Primitivo in Italy. Uh, genetically, they realized. Uh, in I think the 90s that this is the same as a Croatian grape that is known as something that's unpronounceable to Americans. Uh, I'm, yeah, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna spell it. Okay. So it's C R L J E N A K. Sri Lanak. Yeah, Sri Lanak is what I was saying as well. So Sri Lanak. That's like Silent Night in my head. That's that's literally what I see when I try to read the pronunciation. Yeah, I, the second word I don't know what that is either. It's like Kostelaniski. Kostelaki. Yeah, and then your wife to try to pronounce. I I know exactly <laughs> the alternate the alternate name of it in in Croatia is uh, Trib Tribidrog. Tribidrog. Yeah. So. Uh, they they realize that this is the genetically this is the same grape as that uh, primitivo as well which they didn't realize until a couple of years ago. Uh, so it can be used to make a very robust red wine and both in the Croatian and Italian version it, it does that as well. The California version is different uh, and we'll get into that. So in the U.S. you can also make a, a semi sweet. It's actually a blush. I wrote uh, rosé, but it's not technically a rosé. Because a, bl- mm-hmm. a blush is actually different. Um, yeah. And I, I'm not going to get into that process just for uh, time, but uh, it, 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 a rosé and a blush, they look similar. They're not exactly the same. Uh, and it ha- yeah, yeah, it has to do with the process for making it. But So in the United States, it makes a, a semi-sweet blush wine uh, named White Zinfandel. Uh, even though it's pink, it's, it's white. Uh, it is incredibly successful commercially. Uh, so this is kind of very good (laughs) a lot of people really like it a lot of like wine people kind of poo-poo it but you know you and i've talked about this a lot if it makes dollars it makes sense yeah and that's the thing is like i do like whites in um but i prefer the weird ones yeah like a white zin i'm not i'm not crazy about it but to put it into perspective those of you you know we've been talking about old episodes uh tonight my mom likes white zin and two-time guest on Tasting Anarchy, my mom, uh, doesn't drink, and she no. like she likes White Zinfandel, <laughs> and well, and I didn't I didn't realize that until like not too long ago. She just she mentioned it. She was like, "Oh, I had a White Zinfandel. I really liked it." And I was like, "Whoa!" 
<laughs> yeah, and and that's the thing is like I bet it's the sh- not that your mom's like a sugar fiend, mm-hmm. but I bet it's the 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 sweetness of a lot of them. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and describe the flavor of, of white Zinfandel first, even though I put it third on my list. So a white Zinfandel, uh, it tends to be sweet or semi sweet. Uh, it's low alcohol and it's very inexpensive, and that's kind of what makes it the uh, a commercial Perfect success. U.S. grape. Yeah, exactly. Like it's cheap. It's sweet, it's low alcohol, it, it's a great sipper. It's just a great like outdoor warm weather sipper. And um, there's actually, there is, there's even a uh, carbonated version of it. I've never had it and I, and I don't have any descriptions on it, but there is a carbonated version of White Zinfandel that is, it's forced carbonation, so it's not like natural, like not, not like a, yeah. sh- a champagne or anything, but uh, it, it well, probably more along the lines of like a seltzer water or something, but also pretty popular. Uh, White Zinfandel is interesting. I'm not going to get too much into the history of it. I didn't put it in my notes, but it's actually, it was an accident that it was discovered. There was a mechanical failure that uh, caused White White Zinfandel to be produced, and it was good, and so they went ahead and just marketed it as White Zinfandel. So it's it was like a happy coincidence, I guess, or happy accident. Uh, so I think that's kind of funny and interesting. Uh, Primitivo, which is is in Italy, and and I and apparently the creation version is very similar to this too. You can expect uh, high acidity, uh, full bodied, and high alcohol. So uh, they don't in Europe they don't really consider this to be a very a highbrow uh, type of wine, but uh, it is a early ripening wine, which is what Primitivo means. It means like early ripener or a primitive ripener, and. Uh, they planted it there because it does ripen early and it and it, and it makes a decent sweet or not sweet but fruity fr- full fruity wine. It do, it does get alcoholic there, uh, usually approaching fifteen percent. Zinfandel, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. For Europe, that's that's pretty high. Uh, Very high. Zinfandel in California, typically jam bomb it's it's very fruity it's uh you get jam blueberry blackberry cherry plum sometimes like licorice flavors uh when, it's, you, when you're drinking a california zin yeah that's like it's not this like blend stuff you know it like it's mm-hmm. like here i am exactly it is it is it's full punch right in your mouth it's it's and i like that a lot it, it's it's good but it's dry so it's got it the, can be yeah it's got the fruitiness which is is nice but it's also a dry wine so then it sometimes has some of the nice uh mouthfeel characteristics too uh it's typically al- uh high alcohol so it's uh off it, not always but oftentimes it's higher than 15%. I think that the highest in California is like 17.5 uh um 18 I think we've discussed. Oh, have we? Like, okay. I think I think we had an 18. Not maybe not directly but like yeah, I think I think it there's some that get way up there. Yeah. Uh kind of like a, in the dessert wine range, but I think that's like high bricked wines. Okay. Yeah, like and that's fair. It's very possible. Um, yeah. it, it it they definitely are very high alcohol wines typically, and and that's kind of the interesting thing about the Zinfandel is you can make a very wide range of wines uh, depending on the weather conditions and also like how long you allow it to brick. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, the trend for Zinfandel was to leave it on the vine forever and just let it let it build the sugars. And then, like lately, they're they are making some more nuanced Zinfandels. I actually have one up on my shelf that is, uh, it is fourteen point five percent alcohol, so it is it is relatively high. 
uh, but it's a Zinfandel blend, and they are they're trying something a little bit different. Uh, it's normally a hundred dollars a bottle, so I probably won't be opening it anytime soon. And I think Victoria will like this one, so we'll probably open that one together. Yeah, uh, I would definitely say keep the cork wet on that one. <laughs> yeah, it, it it'll, it'll be it'll be an interesting one. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. so Zinfandel very full body usually. It's a it, they're they're high on the robustness level, very dark. Uh, they also often have a very smoky, uh, spicy finish. So you are going to sometimes get black pepper in there, which I think I mentioned earlier. Uh, you're going to get some black pepper, some smokiness, uh, some spiciness, maybe, uh, cloves, that kind of thing to it as well. And, uh, in my opinion, and also the opinion of people who told me that this was good and that I tried it and it was good. Zivadel is a very good thing to go with smoked meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're doing if you're doing what Mason did this week and you're smoking some chickens or doing what I did and doing some some pulled pork with liquid smoke, Zinfandel is a great thing to pair with it. And uh, particularly these very big fruity ones from California, the Primitivo from Italy, you might want to want to do something a little bit more delicate because you're going to get a little bit more um, because it is it is uh, European. You're going to get a little bit more mineraliness from it, but. Uh, it, it is, you know, it's a, it it the the jammy fruitiness from a Zinfandel really goes great with smoked meat, and that and last week I recommended Gamay, which is sort of along the same lines, very 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 fruity, and that fruit that like full body jammy fruity mouthfeel on a wine goes just so well with smoked meat. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is like it's to me like a lot of smoked meat is aggressive. And I think you need a wine that's going to come up and just be like, here I am. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I, I think like with Zinn, like to me, it always kind of gives me that idea of like, it runs the race and it stops exactly at the finish line and goes, I'm the winner. Yeah, and yeah. Where like Cab Sob might be like, oh, I won? And just right. kind of be like out there, like doing its own thing. Whereas like uh, Cab Franc to to me, like, and I understand there's, there's mm-hmm. you know, definitely differences. It's like, didn't even bother with the race. It was like too busy trying to trip like Petit Vincent and like, <laughs> yeah. know, all the like more exotics up. It's just like out there fighting. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Just it's brawling at the finish line. So, um, so that's kind of our review of, uh, Zin. Um, so I'm going to go through quickly, um, this other topic real quick. Cause I see we have uh, a couple of other things and we're running a little late. Yeah. Well, um, we, we, we can table the last one if you want. Let's see, let's see how yeah, long it takes to go through the brewery stuff. Yeah. Let's table the other one and then just kind of talk the bro, the brewery one. Real okay. Quick. Um, so one of the things that you know, kind of, cause you looked in a lot of the statistics is like Virginia is like becoming a blue state quicker than Texas is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it used to, it was, and then it was a red state, and now it's a blue state again. And um, Virginia is having a lot of people moving out of Virginia. Now, Hampton Roads is growing, but, like, Norfolk itself isn't necessarily growing. And Norfolk is, like, the most blue of the Hampton Roads cities, in my opinion. Um, and using blue and red, it, you know, blue is Democrats, red is Republicans. So there's a brewing company that you and I both liked and we liked their original concept, which is called Seal of Canth Brewing. Their idea was to talk about the Seal of Canth fish, which hasn't like evolved in like a million years, a million billion years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, just, it's this ancient fish that's like basically like plates. It like has bony plates, and it like just hasn't changed. Yeah. And they were going to do 
classic traditional beers and they threw that out the window a long time ago okay can i can i pause you for just a second i'm sorry hang on sorry about that Mulder was scratching at the door and it was bugging me that's okay so yeah so they were like gonna be the traditional brewery that didn't do anything crazy and that's one of the things about hampton roads breweries is they used to do like amazing like ipas just super super hopped like just hopped out the window beers and then coelacanth was coming in and saying like we're gonna do these classic styles and then they did like all sorts of weird different stuff and it was to me all very good um yeah i, but, I liked it a lot yeah. I, sometimes you know that's i think you and i discussed this back when we were really into beer is that there was like a point where everything was really cool like you know you had you had young veterans they they did that pineapple grenade which i thought was really cool mm-hmm. and you had like hoptopus from uh i guess it's river beach now and yep. Uh, even like Rep Rap was doing really interesting things, and they were a very mm-hmm. small brewery. And uh, what's the Einsteiny one that's that's over there in Ghent? Um, uh, R theory or something like that, or G theory, or do you know what I'm talking about? No, I, I don't. Man, I can't remember what it's called. And I bought a, I, I bought, I have a T-shirt from them too, and I can't remember what it's called. Smart Mouth. Smart Mouth. Yeah, but what's the what's yeah. that beer that I like from it? It was like R theory or something. Or, oh yeah, the the one you never get anywhere near close to the name. Yeah, yeah, it's some it's something theory, yeah, but it's, yeah. it's smart mouth. So like yeah. all of the for a while, like we were like, oh yeah, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool, and then like after a while, like actually, and I think it was probably around when Celacanth came on the scene. It was just like I just kind of want like a regular old beer. Like, I just yeah, want I want a good a good well made normal beer. Yeah, and that's the thing is like I never really got that way, and that's what Celacanth was like going to be. Mm-hmm. But Hampton Roads Breweries, like, Coelacanth, like, they definitely expanded and did different stuff, but, like, I don't think their location was very good, like, because they're in Ghent, and they're in walking distance, a lot of things, but, like, their location itself wasn't super awesome, their hours were kind of weird, um, so, uh, Camp is in stores, you can, like, it was in stores for a very long time in the Hampton Roads area, um, but they're apparently going to close by the beginning of the year. Um, so their fourth anniversary is in December. Um, apparently finance is an issue. Basically they're just, people aren't showing up like they used to. Um, apparently they actually made shipments to Europe, which is really interesting to me that like American beers that aren't like the big nationals are like getting shipped to Europe. (laughs) So, well, you know, I know I almost cited this article. There's a vice article about the, like the microbrewery scene in Britain. Mm-hmm. And and I think Coelacanth actually shipped to Britain. Um, so like the the microbrewery scene in Britain is actually really big, but it's all like crowdfunded and mm-hmm. and apparently there's been like a, a fairly large rash of them like collecting a bunch of crowdfunded money, increasing in value by a whole bunch, but allowing people to like have shares, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden closing down and selling out to some huge brewer. Huh. And uh, so that's what kind of sort of, like when I was looking into this, w- when you presented this to me, I was like, oh man, is it is it coming to fruition? You know, you and I talked about this early, early on in in Tasting Anarchy is, is there like a saturation point of, of microbrews or like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, local breweries, like small, small brewers. And maybe there is, but like, I don't, I don't know that this is something that's indicative of that. It just may just be this particular person. Like when I search online for it, it was, yeah, they're closing, but there's other ones opening in other places. There, there's uh, 
we'll get into this, but go ahead and finish summarizing the article and we'll go we'll yeah, get into so, it a little bit. So basically like there this is one of those breweries that it was very well received. One, you know, had won several different awards. Um, you know, it's first certified green brewery. Like, I mean, they did a whole bunch of unique things, but like, you know, Virginia Department of Environment quality certified, you know, certified green brewery. Um, maybe that cost them too much. You know, it, this is like one of the things in Hampton Roads is Hampton Roads is very, very integrated but also not integrated with itself yeah so yeah it's it's, like, it's an interesting it's very interesting metropolitan area yeah so it's one of those things where it's like do we is the issue that they didn't get enough foot traffic and then they just wasn't enough demand in restaurants and you know like other places like what what was it that drove them to close and you know they're like i I was reading an article because I, I found this on Reddit originally in the, the Norfolk subreddit and they were talking about it, but it's kind of like, I, you know, I, I knew the owner in passing and he always kind of seemed price conscious to me, which seemed odd to me, but like, I also don't know what it's like running a brewery, you know, a brewery. And so it mm-hmm. definitely could be, you know, price makes sense yeah. like, for a lot of things, but like, was his location too expensive? her the foot traffic and like where he was like that wasn't to me like a very good foot traffic place yeah it it was kind of an odd location because it was like on the back side of like a retail center yeah and and then like actually the reason i knew it was there and the reason i frequented there was that there used to be a russian store next to it Mm-hmm. Uh, and I used to go to that Russian store with Victoria all the time. Then they moved to Portsmouth, and then they end up closing. But uh, they they moved, and then the the um, Farm Fresh was there, and then the Farm Fresh closed. Yeah, the Farm. Well, I mean, the Farm Fresh, like it's, but it's going to become an Aldi. Okay. Uh, so like, yeah. Like to me, that seems like if there's a brewery there, like Aldi's, you know not necessarily like the price point you want but if there's an Audi in Ghent like there's yeah. a lot going on but like the restaurant that used to be there the Italian place oh yeah that that was a pretty good Italian place also closed oh really I didn't know that yeah oh okay yeah I actually I took my mother-in-law in Victoria there <coughs> and, and actually as I recall I, I liked the food a lot but I remember bringing them there and being a little bit embarrassed because I was like this is not as good as I thought for the price point yeah so it is it is kind of an odd it's an odd part of that little area because it's like the next road off of the main road. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's close enough to the main road that it's like cool kind of still. But like it's far enough off of the main road that it's like it doesn't really make sense for there There's to be not enough signage. Yeah, exactly. Like it's hard to get back there. It's also it's also you can't exit like uh, like if you're facing the brewery, you can't exit on the uh, the left side. It's like it's like a dead end on the left side, or you or you have to go to that side and then turn back to the main road. You can't think of the right side, yeah. Oh, am I thinking of the right side? Okay, yeah, yeah. So like, there's like that one side that's like awkward. So it's like yeah, it's not. Exactly. There's no like through traffic there. It wasn't there wasn't dedicated parking. That's true. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. So I don't know. I I did a little bit of other research just to kind of like capstone this is it like is you and i have talked about this before and it's kind of interesting to come back to it because you and i both like beer a lot like i'm i'm Mm -hmm. i'm so much more into wine now than i am into beer but lately i've i've i found i've like discovered the joy of like having a beer at a bar Mm -hmm. 
even though it's like a lot more expensive than you know, you and I, you, you, we would have beers at the like libertarian meetings and stuff like that, and and occasionally we'd go to microbreweries and things like that. But like having a beer at a bar, even when you're by yourself, is there's like something about it. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's like it's relaxing. It's like no yeah, nobody yeah. wants to talk to you. Nobody's bothering you, and you just kind of like sit there and like whatever's on the TV, soccer or football or whatever, and you just kind of like. You're by yourself, and it's just it's just like relaxing. You're surrounded by people, but none of them care what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, no, I I know exactly what you're talking about. It's there's a, there's a different uniqueness to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, like having a having a glass of wine is something uniquely different at a bar, and something that doesn't happen very often. Right. It. Yeah, but like, but I, I what, exactly I, what, what I'm what I'm talking about is having a beer a beer at a bar. No, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like the difference is like, yeah, there, yeah, exactly. It's a, there are different things. You're right. So there, so this is pho, this pho place or pho or however you say it. Um, pho, pho. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that Victoria likes a lot. It's it's like our new favorite pho place. Terrible service. Uh, the food is just so good. So, so the service, like the last time I went there, I really liked their spring rolls with like the rolls that have like the clear wrapper. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spring rolls. Yeah. Well, you know, some places around here have spring rolls, but they're like crispy and I don't like that. Hmm. Yeah. I think maybe they're mislabeled, but this has got like really good spring rolls. And the last time I went there, I didn't check my order and I should have because the the same dude who's always there is kind of like not there, but he's physically there, but he's mentally not there. Uh, I got pho for Victoria. He got the pho. Awesome. I ordered spring rolls because I really like spring rolls. There was no spring rolls in the package. Now, I looked at my receipt and he didn't charge me for them, so I wasn't upset. But at the same time, I wanted them and <laughs> I didn't have them. But while I was waiting for the pho, I, just, I had a beer at the bar. Uh, and and I was and, and actually, I've done this now like three times because I'll go pick it up for Victoria and then bring it home. And it's just kind of nice to like while I'm waiting, just sit there and have a, a beer casually and enjoy mm-hmm. enjoy and enjoy whatever's on the TV or or text. Actually, I was texting you one of the times, and <laughs> like I was just having a good time, just sitting there by myself with nobody bothering me, and just you know chilling out. So like now, like I'm starting to understand like why people go to bars because it's like you are around people, which there is something nice about that. But let's go. Let's go ahead and get into like some of the beer statistics I looked up because you and yeah, I have yeah. talked about like saturated markets and stuff. So uh, I went to uh, the Beer Association and I got two infographics that I'll read from. Uh, one for 2017 and one for 2018. So in 2018, overall beer sale or 2017 overall beer sales were down 1.2 percent, but craft breweries were up five percent. Imported beer sales were up 3.2%, and exported craft beers were up 3.6%. So those are pretty good overall numbers, but so it seems like maybe like the major breweries are what are uh, not being consumed as much, so like Bud Bud Light, Coors, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Then I went ahead and looked up the, uh, the numbers for 2018. They didn't have all of the same ones, but for 2018, beer consumption... Uh, decreased, but not as much as it did in 2017. So it was down uh, 0.8%. Uh, the the uh, craft beer sales are up 3.9%, and the imported beer sales are up 3.6%. So the, the increase of craft beers was down, but it still increased. And the increase for imported beers was up, 
but still, but an increase from the previous year. So it's still increasing. So mm-hmm. I, I think that those were kind of like the relevant numbers. There, there's other numbers on there as well. But uh, I, I had always thought that like, you know, so many breweries were opening up in Hampton Roads. And it seemed to me that there was going to be a point that where it was, there was just too much available. Mm-hmm. And and the guy who who in one of the articles where I actually got the first infographic from, he says he he and this is interesting. This is a very economic argument or whatever. Is he says at the first you may ask me, are there too many craft breweries in America? And what his response would be would be too many breweries for what? What does that mean? And he says, well, mm-hmm. you know, if it's too many breweries for you to try every single beer, then yes, <laughs> for sure. But too many breweries for the market. And he says, no, the, the market is, is not saturated. There, there's still an increased consumption and people do have a high demand for beer. And uh, so that was my first thought because like, you know, in Hampton Roads, we've had actually other breweries that went out of business not too long ago, like uh, uh, Green Flash, which is a, is a large one. And now, now they have since, I guess they declared bankruptcy, sold that one in the Hampton Roads area and then, have actually re-entered the East Coast market since then when they re-kind of like re-established themselves and like figured out their financial situation. Yeah, to me, to me that was like a very bizarre mm-hmm. like overall situation. Yeah, and, and I, you know what's interesting is I kind of, it sort of leads me into the next article and I guess we can, we're, we're kind of running late, but I can make this real yeah, quick. I, I was going to say, it's got to be real quick. Okay, I can make this real quick. It sort of leads me into the other thing is because actually wine consumption overall is down as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So overall beer and wine consumption, so overall beer consumption and overall wine consumption is down even though there are specific areas where they're increased. So I have have an article, I'll go ahead and link to it in the show notes and it it just, it's uh, called, it's called Great Book Wine Sales Remains uh, Slow uh, as Winemakers Cope with Sluggish Wine Sales. And it's basically the same thing as what we were talking about before is that there's a lot of smaller wineries and kind of specialty wineries uh, that are still doing pretty well, but the the large bulk sellers are not doing well. And it's basically because 2018 was such a great year for grapes that they're all stuck with this, this all these all this wine that they made in that year. They just, they overproduced and there's a lot of it. Now, granted, uh, this year, 2019 was a, not a great crop. Mm-hmm. And so they that 2018 is going to come in very handy with them just having availability. But it's sort of the same thing is that overall, I don't know what this is indicative of, but the United States is consuming less alcohol. And uh, that is reflecting in the bulk wine industry and the bulk beer industry. Craft and specialty is up, but, but bulk is different. And the, one of the things they point out in the wine one is that millennial taste has changed. And, and it used to be that this is particular for uh, North Cal- North Coast California is that they were producing a lot of these uh, high end expensive red wines that are very appealing to boomers and mm-hmm. millennials have a very different taste and those are the ones that are coming into wine purchasing at this point so hmm. there's like a mismatch and that is that like boomers are starting to die so these kind of luxurious highbrow red wines are dropping off on sales. And you've got millennials who don't quite meet that price point yet, but mm-hmm. but are interested in wine, but they're more interested in like rosé and cheaper red wines and more accessible, like cool, like warm weather, like hipster wines, I guess. 
and, mm-hmm. and so the the bulk producers that were producing before are having a hard time meeting that market because that's just not what they were producing. They were producing robust red wines for boomers. Yeah. So I thought those two articles kind of tied together. It was interesting. I had another article, but um, I didn't put in the notes, and I don't think we have time to get into it because we are running yeah. late. Well, like my thought was going to be like also, and I think this is one of those, it's not in the data, but it might be there. How much of this is actually the increase availability of marijuana? Oh, that would be an interesting topic to explore. Maybe we should we should make a note of that and maybe check into that next episode. Yeah, because I, I think like there's a, a huge measure of like marijuana becoming available and legal in so many states by comparison. So, but... Yeah, like you said, that's a show topic for another time because we're at like a hundred, we're at you know hour and an, almost an hour and a half at this point. Yeah. Um, so we are Tasting Anarchy. You can find us on tastinganarchy.com. You can send us an email at tastinganarchy at gmail.com. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at tastinganarchy.com. We are the two members of the hosts of the Childerberg uh, Libertarian event in Austin, Texas, the 23rd to the 26th in 2020. We will be happening concurrent or partially concurrent with the Libertarian National Convention. So if you're coming out for Tom Woods or Scott Horton or Dave Smith or any one of those guys, uh, push to get, um, oh my gosh, J- uh, Hornberger. Yeah, J- Jacob, Jacob Hornberger, Hornberger yeah. Um, as the v- the presidential candidate for the libertarian party which is kind of not our last hurrah but like definitely an opportunity that we should all be taking advantage of because he is an amazing person and very interesting and at least presents the message well um you know if you're going to be out there doing that come out and see us we're going to be in a specific park's name that i just cannot for the life of me (laughs) it's it's emma Um, emma long metropolitan park there you go um so you can come out and see us. Uh, we are going to be having comedy. We are going to be having live music. We are probably going to be having special guests that we don't even know about yet because there are going to be so many people. Oh, my goodness. Can't stop yawning. Uh, so many people showing up for the uh, main event that is the Libertarian National Convention. Um, you know, we've got people who have said that they'll be able to come that we can't mention yet. It's just going to be a great time. We'll be doing family-friendly stuff. We will be doing non-family-friendly stuff. We will be doing stuff. Right. Um, and having lots of fun doing it. Yeah, I think that that's a great summary of the event. Uh, and you know what? That, I think that's actually that's a great capstone. So from us at Tasting Anarchy, stay free. Stay free, everybody. Drink and have gowns and calling for more. Drinking wine, spoody, you to drink wine. Wine, spoody, you to drink wine. Wine, spoody, you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peterstown, buy some wine and pass it around. The age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton Sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilfie at Willis Den. He wasn't selling for the American gin. 
One soldier want a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the order, drink wine. Wine for the order, drink wine. Wine for the order, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Somebody's fifth and somebody's fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for the order, drink wine. Wine for the order, drink wine.